And I believe this weekend we are going to encounter God's love. That's what I believe. And that's what we need. And there's a verse that really struck me this afternoon. And I want to share it with you. It's Romans 5, verse 5. And it says, Now hope does not put us to shame. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I love that because there's something about God's love that gives us that hope that we need. Hope and love are just linked together. And it's that love, that God's love, that is different to the kind of love that we have for each other. It's God's unconditional love. And so tonight and tomorrow, we're going to talk to you about that. We're going to talk, actually, I, I felt there was like three stories I wanted to talk to you about tonight. Don't panic now. <laughs> one was our story. Uh, the other one was uh, a guy called Mephibosheth. Could we say that together? Mephibosheth. Will we call him Mephibosheth or will we call him Maggie or something? <laughs> Mephibosheth. So there's his story and I was going to limit it to the two stories. And you know, in the middle of the night, I had this dream and I don't know what I was dreaming about, but something in the dream told me that there wasn't just two stories, there was three stories. So this morning I got the paper out and I thought, that's right, of course there is. There's God's story. So there's your story, Mephibosheth's story and God's story. And we're going to look at all of those stories tonight. And I want to read to you just a few verses about Mephibosheth's story because uh, he has a story that actually kind of parallels our story. He was, uh, he was actually the grandson of King Saul in the Old Testament. We're going to read a few verses out of um, 2 Samuel chapter 4. And we're going to just look a little bit at his background. And we're going to see that Mephibosheth's story... I've got a bit of a lisp, so that's not the best word name to be calling. So we'll try to say it without the lisp, Mephibosheth. Uh, his story actually is a kind of parallel to our story. So here's what we know about him. Jonathan, Saul's son, so there was King Saul and his son called Jonathan, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as the nurse made haste to flee that he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. So if you can picture this situation, there was a, a war going on between King Saul and, and David. Saul, if you remember, had persecuted. David was very jealous of him. And the battle was raging. And both Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in one day. And the news came to the palace. And Jonathan's son, five years old, heard the news. Well, he wouldn't have even known probably what it was. But his nurse, realising that the child could well be in danger if David was wanting vengeance for all the hardships and, 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 and bad things that King Saul had done towards David. This nurse lifted up this little boy, this five-year-old, and can't you just imagine, I just, I have a very vivid imagination anyway, I can imagine this big dark palace with steps and all, stone steps and everything, and I can imagine her uh, running with this little boy in her arms, and I'm sure a five-year-old, it wasn't, he wasn't so light, and she's running, panicking to get the child to safety, and stumbling, I, I, I imagine she stumbled on steps. That's my guess. I think the child rolled down the steps and she was mortified and when they lifted the child up they realised he was very badly injured. 
And the result of that was that this little boy could not walk properly. The Bible describes him as being lame on both his feet. Now I've just had a knee. I had this heavy accident over the summer and I've been in crutches up to last weekend. So I know what it's like. I don't even think they had crutches back then. They probably had no wheelchairs or anything. So I would say this lad uh, was growing up in a society where it was a real stigma to be lame on both your feet. And so we have this story about this child. Why is this like our story? Well, the amazing thing is that when God created all of us at the beginning, he made us to be kings and queens. He made us to walk in, in royal glory. He made us with glory and honour, Psalm 8 tells us. He created us in his image, Genesis 1 verse 28, that we would walk in, in dignity, that we would, would be able to be king's daughters. But something happened in the Garden of Eden. And you all know the story how the enemy, the God's arch enemy, Satan himself, came and, and tempted the woman. And because she turned away from God and listened to the lies of the enemy, I want you to remember that phrase, the lies of the enemy, because I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you that uh, it's the lies of the enemy that get us every time. We'll be saying that over the weekend. And she listened to those lies, and as a result, all of humanity fell. There was a fall, just like Mephibosheth fell. The whole of creation fell. Everything fell apart. The relationship between God and men and women, even, even the natural creation, it all took a real breaking, a, a fall that broke us, so that we were all broken, just like Mephibosheth. And so, can you see the parallel? How we are so like this young man. And of course, the story goes on. If you turn over, you don't have to do it, but if you want to know where it is, Second uh, Samuel chapter 9, just a few chapters later on, we see the continuation of the story because the child was actually taken and brought to another place in Israel and King David was set on his throne. He was a great king, wasn't he? He was a shepherd king. He actually, King David, had a heart like God. That's what it says in the Bible. His heart was like God's heart. He was a shepherd king. He was a king who loved people. A king who loved, had a, had a heart to pastor and look after, after, after people. And so it tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 9 that when King, when king David was on the throne, one day he had this thought. I wonder is there anybody left in the family of, Saul, of, of King Saul? I wonder is there anybody left that I could show kindness to? Here's, here's the way it puts it in the Bible. That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And this servant, he decided he would go and tell King David that yes, there was someone still alive from the house of Saul. And here's what David said. Is there, is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So do you get the picture? King David's sitting with all his glory. He's the king of the land now. And yet he's thinking about his old friend Jonathan and he's thinking about Saul. He's thinking about the past. And he's thinking, I would love to show kindness. What could I do? How could I help if there's anybody alive? And as soon as he hears that, yes, there is somebody alive, his name is, what is his name? Mephibosheth. Here's what it says. So the king said to Ziba, the servant, where is he? 
And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he's in the house of Mekar, in the son of Amiel, in a place called Lodibar. Now, this is a, it actually, that name actually means a place where nothing grows, a place where there's no pasture. And of course, it was very important in those days that there was pasture for, to have grass for their animals, otherwise they couldn't live. Lodibar actually means a place where nothing grows. Now, when I was uh, in my teens, I went to a church, not here, but away up in County Fermanagh, and it was very strict. And there was a lots, of, lots and lots of do's and don'ts. And of course, I was only a teenager and my brother and I, we were around the same age and we, we enjoyed life and we would have done things maybe that some of them mightn't have been, you know, looking too favourable a lot. So there was an old, an old elder in that church and he used to get up every now and again and he would say, I hope nobody has gone down to Lodibar. <laughs> and we always knew what Lodibar was. And in fact, it was a kind of a joke in our house. But you know, that really wasn't the real meaning of Lodi Bar. Let me tell you a little bit about what this place was like. Lodi Bar is a place of no hope. We are here for a conference this weekend about hope. Let me tell you, it was a place of no hope. A place where nothing grew. A place where nothing changed. A place of no expectations. Now, I was talking to a lady just two days ago, and she is in a very difficult situation. She has problems that I certainly could never have imagined that one person could, could have. Just so many problems, and just practically no help. And every so often we will talk, and she'll be in a place of no hope. And as we began to talk again, she was in that place two days ago, and as we began to talk together and pray together, suddenly I could just sense that there was a change in her spirit. And do you know why there was a change in her spirit? Because we began to talk about what God could do. And it, it became very evident that uh, when she first started the conversation, that there was like a curtain across her eyes where she could see no hope. But the more that we talked and when we prayed about it, it was like God had just taken the curtain back. And all of a sudden, she could see there was possibilities. And you know, that's what, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to keep you in a place of no hope, where there is a veil across your eyes and you don't see any way out. And all you can see is that you're going to be in this place and there's no possibility of getting out of it. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do in your life. And so this place was a place of no hope. It was a dark place. Nothing grows in the dark, really. Sure, it doesn't. It was a dark place. Nothing grew, nothing flourished. There was no blessing there. You know, Satan wants to keep us in darkness. I've written here in my notes, he wants to keep us in a place of desolation and loss, a place of lost inheritance. You see, Mephibosheth was not only living in Lodibar, but he was also aware that he could have been living up in the palace, that he could have, he could have been living with his grandfather Saul and his father Jonathan, he could have had the inheritance of the throne, but he had lost it. And of course, that's exactly what happened to us through sin in the Garden of Eden. Every single one of us, sin, the Bible says, just passed down. What is sin? Sin is just going the opposite direction to what God wants us to go. Sin is just not doing it God's way, trying to do it our way. And it, it always ends up in pain because God created us 
and he knows exactly how to fulfill us. He knows exactly how to bring about the purposes that he created you for. But we have an arch enemy and he wants to rob you of your future. He wants to rob you of the destiny that God has planned for you. And so he wants to see you broken. And he wants you to, he, he knows that from right from Eden that every single one of us are born into the situation where we've lost our inheritance. <coughs> and so our story is a parallel to Mephibosheth's story. But of course, God's story is that he came to buy back that inheritance and to set us up again as kings and daughters of the Lord Most High. And so Mephibosheth was down in Lodibar, the place of no faith. It actually has the idea of a place where you're as low as you can get. You just can't go any further. And we're going to see, actually, when we look a bit further into this story, we're going to see that Mephibosheth had very poor self-image. When you're living down in Lodibar, you don't think very much of yourself. It's a place where you feel low and broken, discouraged. And we're going to see that he actually described himself as being like a dead dog. That's a pretty hard place to be, isn't it? Just like a dead dog. Very, very poor self-image. No hope. I love what uh, Joyce Marr says. She talks about herself as being a bit like that in her Bible. If I can just find this quickly, where am I? Here's what she says. She says, When I saw what that Mephibosheth thought of himself as a dead dog, I realised that I also had a dead dog image that was hindering me from all that I could be and having all that I could have in life. I started changing my attitude towards myself. It took time and a lot of help from the Holy Spirit, but I determined that I would not live below the blessed life that Jesus had provided for me. See, Satan is not only a liar, but he's a thief as well. And he wants to rob us of all that God has planned for us to have. Joyce Meyer also says, many of us have crippled self-images that prevent us from receiving all God has for us. Mephibosheth's story will help us to see that we may be living far below the level that God intends for us. And also it reminds us that we might be in danger of missing out on what God has in mind for you in the future. So God has a plan for all of our lives and God wants us to live in the goodness of that plan. But Satan does not want that to happen. Satan wants to rob us and he wants us to live and to continue to stay in this awful place. Lodabar actually represents a place of shame and even self-rejection and self-hatred. You know, that's exactly where Satan wants us to be. He wants to, he really wants us to live in shame. And you know, we've had a sense over, we've prayed for this conference, we have had a sense that many of you women are not living to the full potential that God wants you to live in. That he wants to take you from that place of lowly bar and he wants to bring you back to the palace, wants to bring you back and reinstate you. I, I just wrote in my notes some questions that I thought might be good for us to ask. Does it seem that life has dropped or dumped all, kind, all kinds of bad situations on you? So that there's a kind of an anger and even a fear in your life. Do you feel that you've been dropped by people that you thought would always be there for you? It's amazing how many people feel that, that their loved ones have let them down, that they've been dropped somewhere along the way. Maybe even the people you thought would have 
blessed you the most have been the ones that have hurt you, have even abused you. Do you feel that you yourself have fallen over and over again by making the same mistakes? I don't know about you, but I've made so many of the same mistakes over and over again. I don't think there's any difference in all of us. We all do that. Does it feel like there's been so much failure in your life that you have no hope and you're just carrying guilt and shame? Well, if that's the case, then you are living in Lodibar, spiritual Lodibar, and God does not want you to live there. And that's where Mephibosheth was living. And when David, the crown king, when he wanted to show grace, he sent a message out to Mephibosheth that he wanted him to come up to the palace. Let's just continue reading a wee bit about the story. It says now in verse 6 of 2 Samuel 9, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Do you see the fear as he was brought up to the palace before King David? Then David said to him, Are you Mephibosheth? And he said, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then Mephibosheth bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And then, of course, David does this lovely few verses where David reinstates him, brings along the servant and says, I want you to be the servant. I want you to restore all of his land, take care of everything. And, and basically, the king restores him so that all of the servants would work the land from. And, and, and the, the king said, Mephibosheth is going to, he's going to come back into his inheritance. But as well as that, he's going to sit at my table. He's going to have the privilege of sitting with the king's sons at the king's table. What an amazing place of security. What a, what a shift from a place of brokenness and loss, loss of inheritance, loss of everything, a place where he, where he had no future. And suddenly, because of David, because of the grace and the love that David had, it's lovely because the, the, here's the way it's described, David's love, his unfailing, unsought and unlimited love. David just wanted to bless Mephibosheth, just the way God wants to bless you. And God wants to lift you from where you might be. I don't know your situation, but God wants to lift you from where you are, and he wants to set you at his table, and he wants to restore to you everything that you've lost. All of that stuff that the enemy has robbed from you, the Lord wants to restore it to you. And he wants you to know what it's like to sit at his table. He wants you to know what it's like to feel that security. He wants you to know that hope. I just read this quote the other day. Hope is called the anchor of the soul in Hebrews 6. Because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. It doesn't just mean a wish this or a wish for that. Rather, hope is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. It's a quote from R.C. Sproul. See, God wants us to latch on to what he says by faith. Anything that we receive from God, we have to take it by faith. Without faith, there's, we can't please God in any way. We've got to trust him that he loves us enough and that he's able to lift us up. Now, I love this whole idea of, of Mephibosheth being brought up to the palace because it reminds me that he had to be carried to the palace. He was lame. There needed to be somebody, listen, I don't think there were any wheelchairs in those days, I don't know, but they had to carry him a certain bit of a distance anyway. He was carried. 
And you know what? Whenever you and I are down and out, whenever we're at our, our lowest, we need God to carry us. Because you know what? We're all spiritually lame. Really spiritually, we can't walk this thing out. We can't do it, ladies. We need God to carry us by his mercy. And you know what? He's longing to do it. And so I just love this, that God wants to give us his security. He wants us to, he wants us to experience his love. Psalm 147 verse 11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him and put their trust in his unfailing love. I love this verse in Job 11. It says, If you stretch out your hands to him, you will feel secure. Because there is hope, you will look around and take your rest in security. That's God's security. You will lie down and none shall make you afraid and many will court your favour. I tell you, that's, that, is, that little statement is amazing, that many would court your favour. In other words, from being in the place of being broken and being in this spiritual lodi bar where you feel you have no hope and no expectation, all of a sudden to be lifted by God and placed at the king's table and your inheritance, your spiritual inheritance, your right to walk as the royal daughter of the king of kings, that that inheritance is restored to you. You can sit at the table and actually that others, that you will become a woman, that others will come to court your favour because you have received God's power and forgiveness and grace and goodness and mercy and you've experienced it to the extent that you're now sitting up at the table and now you're able to help others and others are coming because they've seen the change in your life and now they're coming to you because they want to court your favour because they've seen God's hand in your life. I love that. Isn't that what it's all about? And so some of these verses that I jotted down, I just think they're so beautiful that we are to we are to actually walk as these children of light who are now sitting at God's table, who are now living at the palace. Instead of shame, guilt, and loss, God wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you. He wants to bring you to His house, to His palace. You know the thing is, the scary thing is. But I believe there's a whole lot of us in here tonight. And at some point, we have actually asked Jesus to save us. Maybe even in childhood. Maybe some of you, it happened when you were little girls and you've sort of even forgotten about it. And some of you, it's happened quite recently. But you know, I believe there's many of us who have asked Jesus to come in and forgive us and live in our lives and be our saviour. And you know what? We're still living down in Lodi Bar. We're saved, but we don't know that we should be sitting at the palace. Tomorrow is all about, actually, my talk in the morning, is about how do we live at the palace? What does that mean? Listen, there's a whole lot of you, and you know that Lord Jesus is your saviour. You know him, and you love him. But actually, you're still living down in Lodi Bar, and you don't expect anything to change in your life. And you don't, you don't actually see any hope. And God said, that's not the way I want my daughter to live. And so I want to end off this evening by telling you a story about myself. And I believe, I'm trusting that God will help you to make a decision tonight that you're going to get out of Lodi Bar. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never actually ever asked him to come in and live in your life and, and take away all the, the bad stuff and wash you clean, it's amazing to be washed clean. God just loves to give us that fresh start. 
And if you've never had that experience, oh, we would love you to start the journey. But listen, it is a journey. And God wants us to start it tonight. And if you already know Jesus, but something has happened that has knocked you right back in the Lodi bar, and you're, you're sitting down there and you're just, you're just in a bad place, well, tonight's the night for you to make a change, make a decision. In the mid-90s, right about 1995, I was probably at my lowest point in my life. I've told you I have a son, his name is William, but at that time I had been married, obviously, and my husband and I had gone overseas to do mission work, and uh, William was born, and we came back because things in the marriage were not good. And you know, it ended up that we were legally separated in 1996, and for a few years I was in what I would call a spiritual lowly bar. Very, very low place. I was a broken woman. I was just like Mephibosheth. I was a bit lame, the old feet. I was broken. And I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about when I talk about brokenness. And you know, I was working at that time in my job. I was offered to go for five residential weekends with another colleague to go through a kind of, it wasn't a Christian counselling, but it was uh, to do with my job, that I would go for five weekends and that it would be um, to help me in my work. So one of those weekends, they brought out some clay and they asked us all to suspend some time and to work with the clay and to see you know, what might come out of that. So I started to model with the clay. I'd never done it before. But you know, there was something about actually moulding and shaping the clay that I, this is a, please don't think I'm a bit, you know, loopy here. But I actually felt a real love for that clay. <laughs> Would you believe that? There was something about it that I felt a connection to, that I could shape it or something. I don't know what it was. But I started to work with the clay and I ended up shaping what to me looked like an old lady who was bent over. She was kind of bent like this. I'm going to demonstrate like this. And as I shaped this woman, I began to weep. And I said, God, that woman's me. That's just the way I feel. I feel broken. I feel I'm bowed down. I don't have any hope for the future. What am I going to do with my life? I had trusted Jesus when I was eight years old. I loved Jesus when I was eight years old. I had got married and my hope was we were going to, out to mission. We were going overseas. We were going to do stuff. And all of it had just burned through my fingers. And all I had was ashes. And I was broken. And as I was weeping and looking at this old woman, I found that I was continuing to shape. And as, as I worked with the clay, attached to this old lady, I was moulding something else. I was moulding a young, young girl, and she was different. She was standing straight, and she had her arms up like this and her head up. And I can remember so well. I remember giving her real long hair, and I remember making the the, the, the waves down the back with a pencil, because I like long hair. I love your hair, you see, <laughs> Becky. And, uh, and, and I had the old lady, or back-to-back, -back, connected to this young lady. And this young lady had her arms up, head back. And I remember I really was weeping. And everybody was doing their own thing. Nobody was bothered with anyone else. 
and this isn't my work by the way this has nothing to do with any Christian thing okay so I'm busy uh, weeping here and I'm saying God I want to make a decision I want to ask you please I'm going to trust you I'm going to latch on by faith that you're going to change me from being that broken woman to this this woman this is the woman that I want to be and so I made that choice that's the choice I'd love you to make tonight I'd love you just to make that choice before God. Maybe about a year later, year and a half, I'm not sure, I can't remember, I was sent to a different part of the north of Ireland on another course uh, to do with working with kids. And lo and behold, didn't they bring the Claire again? <laughs> so I thought, this is brilliant. So it didn't take me two minutes to think what I'm going to do with this clay. And I started and I made the same old woman. I brought her home, but it hadn't been fired or anything, so it all fallen to pieces. So I did, the, did it all over again. Did the little old lady, bent over, did the, this one. And I remember standing. And I remember saying, God, I want to thank you that you've done, because it, was, it wasn't in one moment, it was a process, you see, the start of a journey. And I remember looking at it and saying, Lord, I'm so thankful, thank you, that over this last year and a half, or whatever it was, that you have just ministered to me. How did he minister to me? I was running for prayer. <laughs> Everywhere we went, any, any prayer call, I was the first one, I got knocked you down to get to the prayer line. <laughs> I was a desperate woman. I ran to the front. I didn't care who saw me crying. I listened, talk about shame. I lost my shame. I didn't care who saw me weeping. I just wanted God to touch me. I wanted to be that woman who was free. How did it happen? I ran for prayer. Men and women prayed and prophesied over me. They spoke and declared words of hope that God gave them over my life. And you know what? I believed it. As they declared it, I said, God, I'm taking that. I wrote it down in my wee book. God, this is what you're saying to me. You're saying there is hope. You're saying you have a future for me. God, I'm going to go with you. And as I stood that day and I looked at that old lady, I thought, thank you, God, I'm not that old lady anymore. That's not me anymore. And I looked at the, at the one standing like this and I said, God, that's the woman I want to be. I want to be a woman who will worship you and a woman who will, that you will use for your glory. I want to be free to be all that you have for me to be. I want to be free to fulfill my destiny. God, I'm going to go for you. I want to live at your table. I want to sit in your palace. I want to be your woman. And so do you know what I did? I think it was brilliant. <laughs> Save it for myself. I took a knife. I took a knife. And you know the way you'd cut a cake at a wedding or something? Right, well, I, get, I said, this is going to be a ceremony, Lord. <laughs> and I took the knife, and I stood like that. And I said, Lord, thank you for separating that old woman from me. And I cut through, and I took the old lady up, and I just dropped her into the bin. <laughs> and I said, Lord, thank you, I'm free. I'm free to be all that you want me to be. Was it all over and done? No, of course not. The Lord's been doing lots of stuff since then. Because it's an ongoing journey. But tonight you've got the opportunity. This is a safe place for you to make that choice. That you want God to change you. That you want to leave Lodibar. Who wants to live in Lodibar? Not me. I tell you, life at the palace is worth living. Tomorrow morning, I am so looking forward to telling you what life at the palace is like. What it's like to sit at the king's table. 
and to sit knowing that you're the king's daughter. There's going to be an opportunity as we, as we continue tonight. There's going to be an opportunity for you to make that decision. Because it says here in, in 2 Samuel 9, it says, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, place of peace, Salem, peace, wholeness, safety, security, the place of God's peace, the place of well-being. That's where he dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. I believe God wants you not only to trust him to carry you out of Lodibar, and bring you up to the palace. But I believe that God wants you to know what it's like for him to cover you at the table. Do you see whenever Mephibosheth was sitting at the table, nobody could see those lame legs because it was covered. And I love that about God because all of us have a past. All of us have a story. There are things that we are ashamed of. But you know the wonderful thing about God? He chooses to cover it with the blood of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for you. If there was never anybody else in this world, he would still have died for you because he loves you so much. And his blood was shed on the cross. He died on the cross to take your sins in his own body. He wanted to exchange all of the wrong things in your life with his right things, with his righteousness. He wanted to cover you Cover your sins so that you could walk in your true identity as his daughter. So that you could step out and know who you are. That you could walk into all that he has for you. God sent his son Jesus to pay the price for you. I love what it says in Psalm 3. Many are saying God will never rescue her. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. <laughs> Listen, girls, when you go out of here, you can hold your head high because God holds it high. God wants you to know that he loves you. You're his princess and he absolutely loves you. It goes on to say in that psalm, verse 5, I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid, afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Listen, ladies, you might feel that you're surrounded by enemies. You might feel that you're even in a dangerous place tonight. God wants you to know that when you trust him and you ask him to take you out of Lodi Bar, to lift you and carry you and place you into your true inheritance, to live at the palace, to live at the king's table with him, then, then you need to know that he is with you. And you need to know that the enemy is afraid of you. Recently, a few, just a couple of weeks ago, I was going to, I'll tell you, being a Christian doesn't mean that everything's just plain sailing. A couple of weeks ago, I was actually feeling that the enemy was coming really strongly against me. I felt he didn't, he was, he was actually trying to intimidate me, to stop me speaking out publicly. And I was praying with a few women and one of them came to me and here's what she said. I have a picture of you. I love the fact that God gives us pictures for each other. Isn't that amazing? 
Holy Spirit is amazing. And this woman came and she said, I have seen a picture. And she said, I saw you standing. And she said, there were mighty tall, tall, tall angels right round you, everyone with their back to you, but standing in a circle with their spears drawn, swords drawn. I tell you something, that did me good. And it was kind of, it was kind of reinforced tonight as we prayed earlier. You know what? When we know who we are, and we know that heaven's resources, and even the angels are with us, we, we can do anything through Christ. And in fact, the weaker we are, the better it is, because it's all him and not us. And so tonight, you will have this opportunity of making this decision that you're not going to stay in Lodi Bar any longer. I would love that you would make a choice tonight, that you're going to ask Jesus to carry you and to cover your, your past and cover your sin cover all that stuff that you're ashamed of to give you a new start to get you up on your feet i love that it says that you know that we're really all of us are in the pit, in a pit at some stage or other it says he lifted me up out of the horrible pit set my feet up on the rock and established my my way and put a new song in my mouth god wants to give you something to sing about and he wants you actually to become the woman that other people are coming to that other people will, will want to come and have what you have. Tonight's your chance. There's going to be, I know the worship team are coming in a moment, and there's going to be a fire pit outside. What's that for? Well, if you feel tonight that you would like God to lift you and carry you out of wherever you are, then tonight, you could actually write down, Lord, here's some stuff that's been hindering me. Here's the things that are difficult in my life. God, I can't get out of this. I can't, I can't walk out of this. I'm spiritually lame. Listen, every single one of us, we're all spiritually lame before God gets us up on our feet and gets us going. And if, if tonight, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and, and there's something in you that said, I would love, I would love to know Jesus. I would love to, to know what it's like to be out of this lowly bar situation. And I'd love to live with God and to sit at his table and to know what palace life is like. Then there may be some things that are holding you back. You maybe have tried to do this before. I know in this country we tend to call it good living, don't we? Forget the good living. If you've tried to do it before and you just can't do it, well, that's because you, actually only God can save you. Only God can lift you and carry you. So if, if tonight's a night and you're saying, God, I want to make a new start, I want you to come and I want you to lift me out of this, but these are the things that are difficult for me. Well, do you know what? Why not write down some of those things that are difficult for you? And why not as you go out the door later on? Because we're going to have some prayer ministry here. We're going we're gonna to ask you to come forward if you feel you'd like some prayer. But as you're leaving, you can take that stuff that's been hindering you, your troubles, your worries, your anxieties, your fears, your habits, whatever those things are, you can write them down. And as you're going out of there, you can just say, here, Lord, I'm going to put this in the fire and I'm going to trust you. You're going to help me. That, Lord, you're going to carry me with those things. You'll deal with those things. You can actually, you can actually ask Jesus, to come in and empower you to live a whole new kind of life. You can actually enjoy life at the palace. Are you up for it? Yes. 
where we're going to come and we're going to have some worship and we're going to have some prayer ministry people I think they're going to be at the front and if you feel that God's touched you tonight and you feel that you want to make a step forward like a declaration to say God I'm coming to you then now's your chance and we believe that God really desperately wants to meet with you tonight